When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It is uh, the day after the transfer deadline day, uh, the, the day after the transfer window is closed. Joined here by Lee Ryder and Mark Douglas. And it is um, absolutely chipping it down outside. It's grey, it's uh, in the air, apocalyptic. And you can kind of see Lee right now. That's maybe the mood of the Newcastle United fans. Very appropriate, you know, it's absolutely tipping down, as you say. Dark day, very disappointing yesterday in the, you know, what should have been a a day that the momentum continued. I think Newcastle fans were hoping something would happen. A lot of them have seen this all before and know that it, it can go wrong. Suddenly the, the funds seem to dry up almost. I think from our point of view, we were reporting correctly that Rafa was hoping for three or four signings. Unfortunately, the board didn't seem to agree with that and he's ended up empty-handed. So... Little wonder that you know the mood is as dark and as black as it is at the moment. And Mark, I mean, Rafa was expecting at least at least one, hopefully two, well two maybe in. I mean, what do you think went wrong? Um, I thought it was the same thing that went wrong all, all summer. Really, you know, Newcastle took weeks and weeks to do the Florian Lejeune deal, which was which was there for them. They didn't even do Christian Atsu particularly quickly, did they? They did um, Gufran had a contract offer that was not resolved for a few weeks. They didn't announce pre-season particularly early. You know, it's Newcastle United, isn't it? it that, that's the problem. And when you leave yourself, I mean, the, the target deal, um, obviously he was he was one that they were interested in. And uh, I think there were reports, uh, and Lee mentioned it, about the substantial fee that was asked for. Um, Lee knows that better than me. But I, I think probably what happens is that when you leave it to the last day of the transfer window, you're at the mercy of other for the teams and what they want and you know Southampton probably turned around and said well we don't need to sell him he's here for us you know if we we can use him one way or another he's a good good young player um, and Newcastle and I think it was basically that they didn't feel like it, it made much financial sense but I mean as Lee reported yesterday there was money there so what's frustrating is that why didn't Newcastle do the business a bit earlier in the window and bank on the fact that they would be able to sell these players there was a caution and a kind of uh, lack of urgency and lack of dynamism which annoyed Rafa Benitez in the first few weeks of the window and continued right up to the end. And Lee, I mean, how important was it? In the, we all know that Rafa wanted to kind of get a lot of the work done early, missed out on the likes of Tammy Abraham. I mean, just how important now looking back, could also see in hindsight, would it have been to get those deals done mm. and go into you know, the Swansea game ready and prepped? Yeah, I think this game is going to be an important one. Are Newcastle prepared for it, as you say? No, they're not. As, as I said before, Rafa had these three or four players in mind on the on deadline day or the week going into deadline day and the, just the plans didn't happen. But that was the story of the summer, if you look at it. Even going back to Tammy Abraham, Willie Caballero, yeah. the goalkeeper that got released at Man City. But that, though, those were two of the four initial players he wanted. 
the other two he got, which was Lejeune and Marino, but the Marino deal took eight weeks. So, but you've got to think about it. what what was the dance at Newcastle from from the start of summer and the end of last season. You know, it didn't. It took until June the twentieth or June the twenty first to announce that Graham Carr was gone. Mm. So, whose players were what lists were they going off? What database were they going off? The whole thing just seems to have been shambolically uh, organised from start to finish. And here we are now, the day after deadline day in Newcastle, about three or four players light of what they should be. Mark, do you think one of the worst things is that the fans and maybe even Rafa Benitez led themselves to believe that this could be the start of maybe something special? This is this might be a different Mike Ashley approach. And here we are, you know, trans- the day after the transfer deadline day, saying the same things we've been saying for for many many seasons. Yeah, because I mean, I think what was what what's, what's been frustrating over this this few weeks is that you know you, there's a lot of cynics amongst the Newcastle United supports, quite rightly, because they've been burnt with a lot of things in the past. But there were a lot of cynics um, and Rafa coming in, Rafa talking so positively about what was going to happen um, and, uh, you know, melted away quite a lot of the cynicism. You know, I think me and Lee have been here for a long time. Lee's been here longer than me, but I've been here eight years and seen, I mean, Lee said it this morning, seen it seen it before, haven't we, at Newcastle United? But we've been led to believe that something different was happening. You know, people in, within the club, to be absolutely fair, were led to believe that something different was happening. There was a definite feel of optimism. There's been a lot of different little things that have happened at the club. Um, and, you know, I think that one of the reasons for the bitterness this morning is that there's been a collective kind of... They've been, the club have asked people to buy into what has been... What was going to change, you know, the, the kind of revolution which, we, which we've talked about so much. Um, and Rafa has bought into that as well. And a few people at the top have prevented that from happening... And that's, and I think it's very difficult to get trust back in a football club once you lose it. Rafa managed to do it um, simply by being kind of Rafa Benitez and then winning a few games. Um, but now that's that's gone because he doesn't feel the trust anymore. The fans are going to struggle to trust the club. Whatever happens after here, if they, you know, I mean, we don't want to kind of jump the gun, but imagine if Rafa goes, goes to West Ham, what's the next man coming in going to inherit? He's going to inherit something. You know, but I mean, you know, look, it's, we're not there yet, and uh, Rafa's going to stay and, and keep keep doing things. But um, that's the reason why I think, you know, the moods a little bit more bitter. I mean, you can you can stand losing out on targets that that happens, but um, you know, I understand that Mike Ashley sort of says that. Oh, well, I have helped out, but you know, nobody in Newcastle is going to believe him because so many things that have he said, or so many things that the club have said in the past, haven't ended up happening. So. You know, who would you trust, Mike Ashley or Rafa Benitez? Well, yeah, no, I believe. Obviously, Lee, I think you, you reported earlier that Benitez isn't uh, in training. He's, he's getting some kind of medical procedure on, on a is it a back injury or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not something that's just happened in the last twenty four hours. I think he was always meaning to get it sorted out, and that's what's happened basically. The, the, today is the best day to do it. So he's not at training. I don't think there's much training going on either until Monday because obviously the international break as well going on, so not many players to work with. But when he goes back, I think he'll be asking the players that are still there and the ones who are to return after the national break, time to focus and get on with things. Let's get three points down at Swansea. Let's you know try and do the right things because if he's gonna, if there's one thing about Rafa is that he is a 
an ultimate professional, isn't he? He's like, he'll demand high standards, regardless of the circumstances. When he gets on that training field, he will demand 100%. He'll demand when they get out on the pitch at Swansea, you know, to go out and give them a real game. Harder game, by the way, judging by their transfer, the two their different transfer windows for both teams. So, and obviously Tammy Abraham as well can come back and haunt Newcastle. So, uh, so yeah, it can all it can all go wrong for Newcastle, but Rafael will be trying to make sure it all goes right, and uh, that's where Newcastle fans of the ones who be making that long journey down on a Sunday, they'll be hoping that things go well. Do you think Rafa, part of him maybe saw this situation coming? He kind of thought, okay, there's maybe a prospect that I won't get anybody in on deadline day. I won't get the left back I need. I won't get the goalkeeper I want. Mm. Do you think that's something that he maybe thought about? And that's he's going to be already had kind of his reaction, his plan in his head. Well, I think deep down he, he knew that once Paul Dummett had an operation on his hamstring, that he was going to need some cover. So he flagged it up quite a while ago. But maybe, yeah, maybe. Who's to say behind the scenes he didn't just give up and say, "I'm not good. I'm not getting anywhere with these people." So, what? Why am I wasting my time? He's got Chancellor Bemba who can play there. I suppose Hidara is still on the mm. on the books. You've got Gamez can play in that position. So there, there is two or three options, but until Paul Dummett comes back, he hasn't got a recognised left back, which is quite scary. And Mark, this isn't just the whole left back situation hasn't just come over the last few months. Obviously, it's been heightened by uh, you know Dummett's injury, but it, it, it goes back quite a while back. Maybe even you could argue before McLaren, where we've only ever really had maybe one decent left back on the books, and Newcastle have kind of struggled mm-hmm. to bring in cover. And now it's it's definitely come to a head. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, as much as we all kind of think around this table, and I think it's been established on the podcast and. That, that we, we, you know, Rafa's kind of we, we sympathise with Rafa in this. You know, he did sign a left back last last summer, didn't he? In that Craft Lazar, which hasn't worked out. So, you know, I, I think Rafa would be kind of acknowledging that himself. The frustration yesterday was that they did manage to sell Lazar, and you know, so I think Rafa was probably one of the reasons why he's not completely unreasonable. You know, I don't think I don't think I think the the impression that some people have of him is that he goes around. He's quite you know he's a diva. And he demands things and he's moaning all the time. It's just not the case at all. You know, if you if you were down at his press conferences, um, he's not not like that at all. Actually, he's quite. You know, if anything, like he'll answer a question honestly, but he doesn't really. You know, he doesn't really kind of go too much into it because he knows that you know, like Lazar hasn't worked out. Um, he knows that that was you know that was a call of his. So he so he was patient enough. And he knew that they'd probably have to shift him on to get somebody in his cover. But I think the disappointment of yesterday specifically um, is that they didn't manage to bring that player in. Now, Rafa, I mean, Lee knows names, and I, and you know, I'm sure, you know, everybody's heard heard names of three or four left backs that they were looking at, good left backs, who maybe even have challenged for the for to be the number one choice guys in and around the England team, um, who they were looking at at the very start of the window, who they'd kind of sat and talked about. Um, and, and the, the frustration is that I think for Rafa is that, you know, okay, well, he was pitching the whole summer at a certain level and then had to really hastily kind of rearrange everything because, hold on, the finance isn't there. So you've seen the, the business now looks really patchy because it looks like they've improved certain places. A lot of people are saying to, to me, like, why, is, why did they send 10 million on J- Jacob Murphy? Well, you know, 
they, they weren't like I think Rafa was just getting players in yeah when the deals were like ready to go he wasn't he wasn't complaining he was just saying yeah that's a body get him in that's probably what the case was with Atu you know was he 100% convinced Atu was the right man it didn't matter he'd done okay for Newcastle last season it was a deal that was there the price was fixed the wages were fixed and it was just a case of I better get him in because I I can see what might happen further down the line and lo and behold, look what's happened. So I wonder whether they would have even like looking back now, whether he would have said, "Let's keep Vernon Nita because yeah, you know, it's a valid point. Still of, well, you know, if if you if better than it's better than not with nobody, isn't it? So I mean, if you have to ask the question, if if Rafa was aware of how it was going to pan out this summer, would he have stayed? Uh, and then that then the question has to be, you know, would he have listened? To, I mean. You know, he didn't have a he didn't have a lot of offers to be to be honest, but you know that was because people knew he wasn't on the market. Like if he had been on the market, then would West Ham have maybe yeah. done the deal? Would they've got rid of Billich? Possibly, yeah. Um, it's a, it's a classic thing though. When you you look back when when he had you know when they came out and they'd done the statement and the helicopter was going out the training ground that night. When you go back to then and the meeting was concluding, that statement come out. I mean, what I was hearing was he wasn't 100% happy with the way things were, but like a lot of former managers, he probably felt, maybe I can change this. Mm. That's certainly the case with Kevin Keegan when he came in 2008. He thought, yeah, I'll accept the situation, whatever they're offering, and I'll try and get my own way here and do it gradually, but it was just not happening. Pardew was another one. Mm. He was desperate for a job. He came here, he thought he could get things to his liking didn't happen he ended up having to accept the way things were they're very very tough on the stance it's like it's their way or no way so mm-hmm. it's a very it's just, I said a long time ago it's one of the hardest jobs in football it's mm-hmm. probably harder than the England job and a lot of people might knock that statement but you, one game one game a month with England yeah. and you've got great facilities to work with and all that sort of stuff and Newcastle it's it's a, it's like a minefield it really is the, the, the frustration for me is that last summer, that the um, you know, Mike Ashley did just basically let them get on with it, um, and you know Lee Charnley, who rightly will come in for some fair amount of criticism this this summer again for the way that things have gone. But to be fair, last summer the, he was kind of allowed to get on with it, and it was only really in January, wasn't it, when people started sticking their oar in a little bit that Mike Ashley got involved again. Mike Ashley, who by the way. Toto said a few weeks ago, well, I don't have any impact. I, I, I basically don't do anything at the football club. Well, you know, you're setting the tone from the top because if it was left to other people, uh, Rafa Benitez in particular, um, it would, I think, my personal take on it is it would make more money. It would be more successful. Um, it might be that they would have to take a few short-term hits and maybe spend a bit to accumulate, um, which a lot of other clubs have done. Um, but Mike Ashley doesn't want to do that. And and for me, today, looking at the whole situation, Newcastle United will only be a success again when he sells up and allows somebody else to, to you know, roll out their blueprint for the football club because his blueprint doesn't work because it's taken them down twice. Um, it could lose them Rafa. It could lose them, it could lose them their Premier League status again. And I'm sorry if this is really pessimistic at the moment, um, but that's kind of where we stand at the moment. I don't think... I think this was the last roll of the dice for a lot of people and probably for for me in terms of the way that the club 
could work under Mike Ashley. At the moment, I think they can they can have success under Mike Ashley. Of course, they can. They finished fifth, so it's not inconceivable that they could achieve themselves. But in terms of sustained, lasting progress, you know, against the Premier League clubs, that's not going to happen under Mike Ashley unless he changes the way that he views things, and he hasn't done it this. Summer. I just want to ask you, Lee. Um, obviously, Mike Ashley came out and said uh, Lee Charnley answers to Rafa, not the other way around. And a lot of fans are asking, well, if that's the case, then how has it been arguably a disastrous transfer window? Because surely if Rafa's the one making the decisions, then Rafa would have got the players he wants in. Can you offer any insight onto that? For me, I think Ashley does have a bigger say than is made out. And I think if Rafa wants something, then he, he, he can come up with the idea. And then I think he's got to go to Charnley. And then I think Charlie then has to go and get the, the nod from those above. And there's not just the three people on board. Mm. There's obviously the Justin Barnes yeah. Yeah. and Keith Bishop on board as well. So there's a, there seems to be a bit of a, a panel uh, above Rafa. And I wrote it in my piece, it's, it's what, what you want in a football club is football logic. Mm. I think Rafa is 100% fluent f- football, but then he speaks a lot of languages as well. But the club is... Is run. It, they can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it looks like it's being run like a retail business, and it just doesn't doesn't work at all. And that's that's got to be a big issue for the club. And I know there's limited funds, but you've got to let a manager. If a manager needs a left back, you've got to give him a left back. Mm-hmm. If you want, if you want to have a good structure on a pitch, you have to have the players in the right position. How can a professional football club go from now, which first of November, first September? to end of November without a left back until Paul Dummett's back it's just absolute madness I mean Mark there's a question as well about uh, Justin Barnes I know you've you've you know spoken about him sometimes on Twitter and tried to, to let the fans know just what, what his role is there I mean what, what role do you think he's played in this summer's window well, I think he's just another layer of kind of bureaucracy I mean when Rafa gets asked about him which he has been a few times now he says I don't have any dealings with him my dealings are with Lee Charnley but there's no doubt that Justin Barnes coming into the football club by the way he's not answerable to anybody he's not given a single on the record interview um, the club haven't announced officially that he's what his role is what he's doing for me that's not acceptable if he's playing an important part what is the you know, what is the structure of the board at Newcastle United these are all things by the way that they wouldn't have had to ask, answer if they'd have given Rafa what he wanted what he wanted because we wouldn't have necessarily been you know it would have been like well it looks working what is the board at Newcastle United big question for me at the moment because it was I think, I think you got asked didn't you you got asked about interviews last night yeah. about people going why can't you ask Mike Ashley the questions why can't you ask Lee Charlie the questions well you'd be able to answer that yeah. probably better than me oh, well, I mean the point is with that that Mike Ashley doesn't want to give interviews to anybody who isn't Paying for coverage of the football of the Premier League. That's why. He, that's why he's quite pally with Sky. I mean, you know, obviously, it's fair play to uh, the journalist who got that interview because that's a great contact, isn't it, to have Mike Ashley on the end of the phone. But if I think if if we had an interview with Mike Ashley, it would go very differently. Um, but Mike Ashley doesn't have to give interviews. Nobody at Newcastle United does. It's not a public body. Um, it's up to them whether they want to do that, and it's up to the public how they view that that idea now what I would say about um, the way that Rafa changed things is that he made tried to make things a lot more accountable 
even when people were asking at the end of last season, you know, why aren't you, why you know, you're not playing a striker, you know, not playing two strikers when they were top of the league, he would answer all those questions. He's answered questions as much as he can about the structure of the club and all of those things. But Lee Charnley hasn't given an interview, hasn't given a public statement for a long time. Um, Justin Barnes, the club haven't even admitted his role. Keith Bishop's been working for Newcastle United for how long? He's never been. He's never given a public interview either. PR man, never given a public interview. Um, you know, we we ask the questions. We tr- you know we've asked Lee Charnley. I mean, the last time I asked Lee Charnley was um, God, back end of last season when it would have been much more positive. Was um, the last time we spoke? Was it that interview where uh, he had eighty applicants for the job? Was that? Was that the the last time? Uh, you know, Lee Charnley's only given one. I think. I think. I don't know whether he's given. No, any, I think he's. he's I, I, I spoke to him, but long time. I spoke to him after Pardew left, so that was early 2015, and he was on that occasion very supportive to John Carver, who was just uh, in charge as head coach at the time. But I don't believe he's done anything since. No. He's done, the club have released statements, and they, you know they will do that because that's on their terms. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not. I don't want to hammer the people at Newcastle United who are in charge of, you know, the communications because at the end of the day that is entirely up to Mike Ashley. And I think for Lee Charnley as well, you know, it's a bit like, for example, me coming out and giving a an interview about how the what the what the Chronicle does day to day without getting permission or or you know that it's a it's a normal business, isn't it? It's not you know, and and, and for Lee Charnley to give a wide-ranging interview about exactly what's going on in Newcastle United, he would have to get sign-off from Mike Ashley. And if Mike Ashley didn't like what he said, you know, then obviously his job's on the line. So you've got to be practical about that. If Mike Ashley wants to give an interview to us, we're more than happy. We've asked... Joe Kinnear used to give interviews. Joe Kinnear Quite frequently. <laughs> and that, yeah. that wasn't the problem. Yeah. I mean, the, pro- <laughs> the thing is as well, when people say that about getting an interview with Mike Ashley... That's not, you know, of course, that's what we want. We want to hear some answers. We want to hear some answers, some really difficult questions. But it isn't going to change materially what is happening at Newcastle United. And when people say to us, you're not hard enough, you don't answer that, you don't ask the difficult questions, your coverage is too soft. I've got a whole load of front pages that I can tweet to anybody or send to anybody that, um, that would suggest that's different. The fact is that this owner has shown that even things like coverage, even the way that the fans are, hasn't bothered him. And that's the frustration yeah. at the moment. And the thing with football owners and, and chairman is that even, even the very best of them will admit face-to-face, like the Huddersfield guy, for instance, mm. they'll admit they're not experts at the technicalities of on a football field. The money men, they're the people who are investing. And I think that goes back, you can go right back to that, to the Brian Clough movie when he's having the argument on the pitch with the chairman like back in the day there's this there's always been conflict between technical staff and board members and Newcastle because it's such a big club and it's played out in public and everybody sees it and sees it as this big soap opera it becomes a bigger thing and that that's basically what we cover mm. on a day-to-day basis mm. so keeps us in in the stories but you'd rather be reporting about winning football matches. Definitely. And what next, Mark, for Newcastle? Is the only option that Mike Ashley finds a buyer? 
um, I think the in the short term, the, um, Rafa, provided there's no big offer comes in, will probably keep them up, and then it all starts again. You know, I think we'll we'll start to hear messages pretty early that there's money to spend in January, which there will be. Um, not that any Newcastle United fan will want to hear that this morning because. You know, quite rightly, a lot of the cynics will say, well, uh, well, you know, we, we never signed anybody in January. Um, what we could really do with it, what would help is some kind of real clarification on what is going on at Newcastle United back behind the scenes, you know, because I think what we can expect from the next few weeks is I think they will have, I think it's going to be up and down in terms of football. I think they might lose a few that are really hurt like like the Huddersfield game they'll, you know they might have a few results like that they'll probably have a few wins as well that will kind of uplift us all we'll get back to the football it'll be nice to get back to the football actually I think and we'll have a little chat about that um, in the future but I think that the problem is that what's going to be on the horizon at all points is where does the club go from here and I think when Rafa gets to the end of this season I think he feels an obligation still because he's been so loved by people at Newcastle that relationship with the fans is really important to him but I think that when you get to the end of the season I think that he'll probably feel like well look you know I've done my bit this is if nobody comes in from I've done my bit now I want to be in a club that he's either got aspirations of the Champions League or is in the Champions League um, but the good thing is maybe in the meantime there might be a there might be a buyer it depends whether Mike Ashley is prepared to lower valuation because at the moment the valuation is too high to get a buyer in which to me means that I don't think he's that serious about selling it um, but that, there is interest I know there is interest definitely but not at the price that he asks for because the price he asks for is that price which is kind of I think we were saying around it's over 200 million isn't it but then there's money you've got to invest in the club because he hasn't invested anything in infrastructure in 10 years the ground's the same really Training grounds not changed much. You know, there's a lot that needs to be changed in Newcastle United to bring it up to standard to really have it challenging. Um, you know, the worry is that it kind of curdles into some, you know, if things don't go well, Rafa leaves, then it becomes a whole different narrative. But um, we'll see. You know, I think there's still things to look forward to this season. I think, you know, I don't want to be too pessimistic because I think, you know, you could see on Saturday that Newcastle still had that capacity to really, you know, make people feel great and I think that that will happen in between now and then there's some good players in that team you know and, and there's some new, nice new players who look you know, the team seem to be all going in the right direction um, it's just not good enough that team to, to really get where Rafa wanted them to be in the summer um, and I think that you know that that's the worry but like I said you know look it is what it is at the moment it's not it feels worse because Newcastle fans have been asked to buy into something but actually nothing's changed and that's that's as bad as anything, really. But um, but yeah, you know, I think I think they'll, I think they'll still stay up. I mean, and just on a potential buyer, I mean, you look at how everything they've done. They've got an investor in. He's he's worth less than Mike Ashley of you know the Forbes, you know, rich listers. Anything to go by, and yet he's he's come in. He's they're going to get a new ground. They've backed the manager to no end. They've got they've got a brand new manager in. I mean, Newcastle could be a similar project if just if they found an owner who who was willing to put their hand in the pocket. Yeah, I mean, it's been the same story for a long time though I mean the, the, the initial flurry of information when they said oh they're open to offers that was earlier in the summer didn't happen we've had it in 2008 didn't happen you had it after that as well when the club got relegated in 2009 didn't happen so 
who's out there that's going to there's nobody locally who can afford it there doesn't seem to be any interest from the Middle East there doesn't seem to be any interest from America unless it's a really tasty price as you as you mentioned before but you know whoever come in would have to really want to have the love to make Newcastle United work and, and get get it back on its feet because at the minute it needs it I've got the manager we've always had the fans we've always had the stadium but you need leadership at the very top and Newcastle sadly they haven't got that they've got a plan but it doesn't match with what happens on the pitch and on the training pitch and on the terraces unfortunately so yeah it's it's usual doom and gloom well we're going to try and change it we're going to look at the positives of the transfer window we can look at Florian Lejeune who looked before the injury looked a very good player maybe the, arguably the best ball player set about we've had maybe since Jonathan Woodgate mm. look at Mikel Marino looks an excellent player obviously needs time to maybe get used to the the hard life of the Premier League but does look like a very good good signing I mean for you Lee I mean the best signing of the, of the summer looking like so far Marino he's put in a great shift against West Ham and you know, it looked like the box-to-box midfielder Newcastle fans would like to see. He's got great technical ability. I mean, he's not our player. That's the, that's the other thing. He still belongs to Borussia Dortmund as it stands. But hopefully, he can have a successful season and and, and stay here. And I, I think he's he's looking like a very shrewd acquisition as it stands. Have you marked the best the best business of the summer? I would say Marino as well. Um, but I thought um, for five million pound. Josselu, who looks a little bit ungainly. I think he doesn't look like a kind of you know, elegant striker, but I tell you what, he got through some some work on uh, on Saturday, um, and you know I think I think he's going to be okay. I think I think he might he might kind of surprise a few people um, this season. You know I think if he can get anywhere between sort of if he can get up to like eight nine goals this season. For five million pounds, that would be a fantastic, yeah. fantastic. And he loves it here as well. I was speaking yeah. to him after the game, and he was saying to me that he'd, he's, I don't think he was making a direct comparison, but he, he was basically saying that the fans, the way, when he got applauded off the way he did when he got subbed, said the fans remind him of being at Real Madrid. So that's a good little uh, compliment to the Newcastle of fans. It is. And I suppose one. Uh, another positive you can call it positive is is the fact that Dwight Gill didn't get sold and Newcastle didn't get a replacement because I'll be honest I thought part of me thought I'm going to wake up uh, you know yesterday I'm going to get to the end of the deadline day and Gill's going to have gone there's going to be no replacement we've seen it before Andy Carroll it happened it didn't happen and it maybe shows just how Rafa's changed maybe the the, 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 the approach because what's to say three, three four years ago if that offer had come in we could have well be sitting here saying we haven't got a number nine now and we haven't got a new striker. Yeah, it was a straight. It was a strange situation because we were actually covering the Czech trade game at yeah. Crew, and things started filtering through with the report coming in from France. But I think for me, a lot, a lot of that was agent driven, and maybe the agent trying to get one more big deal in the bag. Uh, you know, Rafa would never sell him unless he had somebody to come in. Don't think Gail wanted to leave either. I think he's happy here. I think he was, he was playing golf yesterday on deadline day on Tyneside, so he loves it here. And you know, let's get behind the lad and hopefully he can get the goals that help keep Newcastle where they should be. Fantastic. And Mark, I mean, anything else? Any kind of other analysis you want to you want to throw out there on the on the transfer window? I mean, where would you? How would you grade it? Out of A to F, shall we say? A to F. Well, I gave an F this morning just because not not necessarily the players that they've brought in, just because of what what it kind of represents. Um, 
I think as a just just as a sort of aside, New, look, Newcastle have had a bad window in, because of what it's kind of represented. But this has been an unbelievably strange and you know terrible window for football, really, because some of the prices paid for some really ordinary players. You know, football Freezes, is go, football is going. I mean. Look, you know, my, what Mike Ashley's doing at Newcastle United is, is, is not working, clearly. But, you know, football is now really, really difficult to kind of pin what exactly what is going on in the game. The money being spent on very average players. You know, clubs don't seem to have a plan. That Newcastle aren't the only team that have really messed up this window. There's a lot of other teams have as well. Play, you're seeing players targeted who you're just like where do they fit into the team or they, a team misses out a club misses out on one player and then goes and tries to sign a player who's completely different for more money less money you know some players are getting are being transfer listed one day then they're getting a contract the next day the transfer window and football in itself is making it very difficult for teams like Newcastle to compete I think you know at the very very top um, and the window has been you know, shocking for English football. I think you saw it yesterday. Sky Sports get very excited about it, and you know we all enjoy the coverage. We take the Mickey out of it, but you know, look, I, and I know people get very uptight about it, but look, they do a terrific. Sky do a terrific job on uh, of like hyping up yeah, and covering it, if you will. Um, but I mean, it's pretty grotesque, really. It all plays into the hands of a few people who are taking a, making a lot of money from the game, um, but we don't see the standards getting better every year. Um, we don't see the England team get better every year and we don't see and we see a lot of traditional very big clubs northern clubs in particular falling behind more and more every year as well mm. which isn't good I mean I, I, for me I think the, the deadline day has probably had its day mm. as far as I'm concerned I, I do think it, there's too much hype I think it's it's becoming a bit of a circus now mm. I think it's like with the social media, it's just spiralled out of control. It must be great for the neutral to sit and watch it all go spectacularly wrong for for reporters. <laughs> but you know, and for me, I think the the Dwight Gale situation was partly caused because of the pressure on certain sort of like TV companies to get a story and have something ready to go yeah. on deadline day. And the Dwight Gale one was, you know, yes, there was some interest from Fulham, but then the day they didn't want to pay the money, so it didn't happen. But the the drama that surrounded the Dwight Gale situation, mm. I think it actually upset the player a little bit as yeah. well, from what I'm told. So. Your piece, I think your piece, Lee's piece, in case you haven't read it, um, that we sort of put out about six, seven o'clock yesterday, it said it all that if you'd written that piece on a normal day, that would have been the, the main talking point for everybody because it had some real detail in there about the actual Dwight Gale situation and it was well read but it wasn't like that was the, what Newcastle United fans were talking about about Dwight Gale it was still I still saw people retweeting stuff about um, Lucas Perez and Divock Origi after you know when they were <coughs> both about to go and do deals and I think why people get frustrated on deadline days because you know so much is said and because I think there's a feeling that you know you have to kind of like Lee said, you have to have something, um, and uh, you know, very little happened in the north. You couldn't get frustrated when it used to be on CFAX on <laughs> last week in March. Yeah, tag yeah. it in on CFAX and just watch them slowly, calmly yeah. drip through all the. Transfers. I remember that. You know that, that that's where 
we discovered that Newcastle was signing Andy Cole. So yeah, I'll be honest, I was about four or five, so I don't remember that. But yeah, when was it? It used to be March, didn't it? it used to like, be yeah, late late March. End of March was the final day you could sign somebody, and you tap it in, and yeah, you'd see all the all them filtering through, and it was it was just as exciting then, you know, without without all the hype. So uh, yeah, a couple of questions then to wrap it up for you, Lee. The biggest the biggest fail of the window was it not getting a striker in? Was it not getting a left back in? Or was it just the general maybe yeah deadline day? Uh, I, th- I think failing to get a marquee player in, marquee signing was. You know something that could have done Lucas Perez. You had new, you had Lucas Perez to Newcastle squad yesterday, and it's just a game changer. The whole city would be on a massive up, and um, you know someone along them lines. You look at there was there was players available. There was Boney who went to back the Swans. I think he might have been worth a worth a go. Uh, Daniel Sturridge, mm-hmm. you know someone a nice big name coming in always gets Newcastle fans excited. And they failed to do it, and that hasn't been anybody like that. For that's why we're all so gloomy today. Yeah. When was last? When was the last player we really did? Oh, you went back over there, really. Marquee, yeah. So. Long time ago, wasn't it? I mean, you had people got excited about like the Cabais and Cabellas, even in this world, because they, you know, they're good players. But you guys haven't even gone that. Yeah, well, you, what you get is you get we they sign someone from France, and then people think that they're like an expert on them because it's stick them on a Google search but you, you know could you go as far back as Michael Owen possibly as far as exci- I know that Michael Owen didn't work out well for Newcastle but at the time it was a massive marquee side Ben Arthur maybe yeah because he was because he was Arthur, and everybody yeah. knew I'd go with I'd, I'd say that was because he was one. like they could have had him by the way yesterday. What? No, 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 they were never going to do that but he was ridiculous wages though was he on 175,000 something like that ridiculous well, they've just saved two hundred thousand in a week. Two thousand, two hundred thousand a week. They could have got better. I mean, to be fair, I didn't <laughs> And for um, you, Mark, failure of the, of the window. Um, the failure, biggest failure of the window is that Mike Ashley and Mike Ashley didn't see fit to speak to Rafa Benitez at any point in the summer, but he did speak to Sky. That was the biggest failing for me um, because I think. That could have resolved a lot of issues, but um, I think just generally, I think it looked bad when Lejeune didn't happen, uh, and that was I think a failure to kind of that was what do you think about three or four weeks after it should have happened. And Marino the, took eight weeks, <laughs> so incredible. And it, just on that, what, why is that? Do you think that's the, the hang of haggling over the tiniest little things? Is it arrogance maybe from Newcastle? They don't want to literally pay the asking price I mean can you have any insight into why those those deals were delayed I just think that they are very concerned about overspending and big bills going back to Mike Ashley I think when Mike Ashley came in he didn't do his due diligence as we know and then all of a sudden was getting hit with things that he didn't see coming and there was a big clamp down on that after the first couple of years and I think the club is still the people within the club are still operating in them kind of conditions where anything that's going to cost money is is not what the owner wants to hear, and that's that's where they are. And so that means everything to the nth degree has to be done. If you can save two hundred and fifty quid here or whatever, then it seems to uh, prices seem to come down. But in the long term, when you when you go on like that, like for instance, Grant Hanley, they could have sold him for four point. Two million or something at the start of the summer at Derby County, 
they wanted more, they've ended up selling for 3.5. So it's, it eventually, it all catches up with you in the end. So sometimes you just got to crack on and get mm. these deals done. And what, what the, on the money, and there's a lot of people asking us, you see what went this time last year for yep. 30 million. Where, where's the money gone? Because no one was bought in January, so has that gone into running costs? I mean, what, what do you make of it? Well, Newcastle will tell you that their wage bill's gone up. Um, they obviously ran at... Um, they. I think the next set of accounts that come out are not going to show profit for the first time for a while. It's going to show uh, it's going to show a loss, some, a pretty substantial loss. Um, and you know, obviously, they they had they borrowed money from Mike Ashley as well. So, you know, they they lost a lot of money from going down. They put a lot of money on the wage bill by last January. They they fast forwarded basically what would have been the summer's transfer budget to go and buy Andros Townsend and John Joe Shelby and Sadie Dumbia and Henry Sauve and Henry Sauve um, and Rafa as well obviously you know they added so they've added substantially to the wage bill um, so that, that's where the money's gone I think what happened this summer was that they spent the first lot of transfer money that they got the first lot of Premier League money that they got in and then it was any extra money that you get from from sales you get in Sizoko was it's in um, chunks, isn't it? So there's twelve million they've got from that. Or is it twelve or eighteen? I think I can't remember. But it's maybe three chunks of the, the however much they've they've got from him. Um, and I think that what came down from every penny was every penny available. You know, the bank the bank didn't have any money. Um, in fact, they were probably trying to. If that was the attitude, then they were trying to basically make up the shortfall from last season then anything additional would go into player investment and any sales would, would, would go into it as well that wasn't what Rafa thought was the situation as he said you know when people have a people have sort of said to us oh there was talk of 70 million and all this well you know yeah because that was not what Rafa thought was going to happen surely you know this summer should be a weight of quality looking at the likes of Bournemouth West Brom spending effectively what was last season's TV money because it is a huge amount of money and Newcastle haven't got it they're effectively playing catch up surely that should set the alarm bells ringing for Mike Ash and say well actually it's not worth the gamble it's not worth the risk to not properly back Rafa Benitez and make sure we are in the Premier League this time next season I mean that just hasn't happened though I mean I think if you look at the blueprint of the TV money I think somewhere on it says this money is supposed to be to buy players mm. and make this league the best in the world. It's it's not for owners to make a profit and use as a business. It's for the 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 money is to make the entertainment side of it as good as it can be mm. and get the best players in the world on these Premier League stages and that's what it there and that's surely the whole point in, mm. in football basically. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely spot on, and it's a point that not a lot of people make. Uh, not a lot of people have made is that you know that the the Premier League could if the Premier League wanted to. They could uh, do what they do in Spain, which is allow different clubs to negotiate their own TV deals, and then the English teams would do much better in Europe. And you'd have two or three teams, super teams that had all the best players in the world, and, and you'd Man United and Arsenal, or your Man United and Man City would be able to buy every single best player, and they'd be able to just blow every other team out of the water. The Premier League decide to give it give it to teams equally and individually obviously the best teams get a bit more but mostly all the teams get roughly the same amount at the end of the year 
Um, and they do that because they want the league to be as competitive as possible. So you've effectively got a situation where the Premier League, because it's done so well and, and you know it's got so much TV money, is inviting teams, a select number of teams who are in that competition at the moment, to, to take a chance and basically establish themselves in the Premier League, get themselves to another level from what they from what they were. And Newcastle have had all this era of like financial Premier League and have not gone anywhere for it. In fact, they've gone from being a top 10 club eight years ago when I first set foot in this building and uh, was lured by the promise of coming to cover a team that were going to be in Europe every year uh, and sacked off Wolves. Um, which is what really we covering. You, you had your trip to Bordeaux. I had a trip to Bordeaux, yeah, yeah. So. We've done it one year in, in Europe, but, the, but they've become a yo-yo club. I don't want to point it out then, then. is that, are you not the bad charm? I know, because well, I don't think Wolves have done particularly well since, since then, even last season. But, but you know, Wolves, are, the point is that Newcastle United will always be, much like Leeds are, will always be a big deal, locally and nationally. Like, Leeds is still a big deal, even though, you know, nobody really knows who their managers or any of the players are at the moment who's nationally. But as soon as they get back into the Premier League, they're a big deal again. Newcastle United will always be a big deal because of the scope of the club. Mm. But they had the opportunity to become a top eight, top nine. I mean, they were bigger than Spurs when I came in. They they had, you know, they they, they were a better team than Spurs. Definitely were further on than Everton. Um, and now they're not. Well, if you look at the, the all-time Premier League table, which... Mark Cannon at Newcastle yeah. religiously updates every week. You look at that, when I first come here, I think Newcastle were like top four or top five in that, and they've slipped down to eighth, which isn't bad considering they've had a couple of relegations in that time. So, And they'll, they'll continue to go further because they'll, they'll get overtaken by other teams who've got bigger ambitions at the end of the day. And, you know, Newcastle, what, what, what has been achieved in the... 10 years since Mike Ashley took over is that they've gone from a, a team with dreams and hopes of Champions League and that's not exaggerating no, not to a team that are just happy to be in the division and the saddest thing for me was the other night was interviewing one of the younger players and he said one of the main aims of the club is to remain in the Premier League this season and that that's sad that, that mentality isn't just at the first team it's gone all the way down to the younger players as well and staying in the Premier League now is classed as a success and we've been made to believe that that is a success and it's not it's it's no. nothing not for a club of Newcastle United stature and I know look you know people will fire it at you two guys because you're both Newcastle United fans I'm not a Newcastle United fan um, I just cover the club um, and you know I'd be quite happy to sit here and say that <coughs> you know look we've got to be realistic about this um, if, if I felt like you know the club were, and the, and the you know the whole everything around the club was was kind of geared towards it. You kind of accept that um, if you feel like that that is the situation. But you know, Rafa has shown already. You know, you show a tiny bit of ambition, a tiny bit of enthusiasm here, and you know it's already started. This momentum started piling behind Newcastle, um, and you know the, the the shame is that Rafa, who's a man who's got no connection to the northeast before he took this job and has no you know no there's no background for him with Newcastle United he's just come here experienced it seen seen what it can be and got excited about it a football man a guy who's been at the top table of football management for a long time has come in and said hold on there's something here 
but Mike Ashley can't see that and that I don't understand that I can't work that out and you know that interview on Sky the other week didn't really lift any light on it did it what he actually wants now where he wants it to be they had more of an idea two years ago when McLaren was here you know look we didn't necessarily it didn't work but at least you knew what they were trying to do I don't even know what they're trying to do now well I'm sure he does we'll uh, finish on a few quick fire questions um so, first of all, worst is it, have Newcastle had the worst uh, transfer window um, in the Premier League of all the Premier League teams this summer? Lee? I don't think they have, no, but it hasn't been very good. Mark? No. I think the other teams have had have, have recruited worse players and spent a lot more on on that. Um, you know, I'm not entirely convinced about what Bournemouth have done. They've not won a game yet. Um, time will tell whether Huddersfield have done quite as well as. Right, they've got seven points now, but. Long, t- long, long, se- long, long season to come. Um, now I think Newcastle have done okay in terms of the players they've recruited, but the whole, taken as a whole, it's been pretty bad. Fantastic. And obviously, we're not going to say where we're going to, where Newcastle are going to be at the end of the season. We'll, we'll just go for as far as January. January transfer window comes round. Where do you, where do you see Newcastle maybe being in at that point? You know, January the firstly. With Rafa, with Rafa, if well, that's well, with Rafa or with that, I mean, where do you? That's with, that question. With Rafa, I think they can be in about 12th or 11th place without what should I think if you bring in a I don't know who who would come in a, a yes man then I think they could be in a real serious mess well that was that was going to be my final question will Rafa <laughs> where, where do you think Rafa will be in six months will it still be here at Newcastle that's a good question it depends on on which teams do worse and potentially come in and poach them you know it's it, if if he does stay, I think he'll do a decent job. But there's going to be, well, we haven't had second season yet, and that that's mm. going to kick in. Mm. West Ham are surely going to part company with Billich at some point, and that that's got to be a worry. And I guess when if you know he's got a six million pound release clause reportedly, if that is the case, I mean six million pounds for Rafa Benitez. When you look at the amount of money you pay for players, it's not exactly a, it's too much. Is it? It's well, bargaining in a way. But it is that is only the start with Rafa because you know look for all that he's unhappy with what's going on in Newcastle this is his squad he would have to go into West Ham and change everything you know um, he wouldn't get the one thing that Rafa has here that he hasn't that he wouldn't have at West Ham he wouldn't get the same sort of you know he wouldn't I don't think West Ham fans would be as kind of grateful as Newcastle fans are that he's here um, you know okay they've got a huge stadium and a kind of loyal fan base it's a good club is West Ham isn't it um, but you know, those owners would have to be basically prepared to give Rafa 50-60 million for, for January and 5 million they'd have to decide whether they thought that was worth it or whether they'd decide to come and get Thomas Tuckle or somebody like that um, but you know there's no doubt that we, we saw it we saw it with Newcastle two years ago that when teams start to worry about their their, their relegation you know, if there's a team that's a high-profile team that's struggling, kind of come you know, December, November, December, or later, then they might look at Rafa because, especially if Newcastle, ironically, if Newcastle are doing really well, if they're in the top ten with the resources that he's got, it almost makes them more vulnerable to losing him. Um, you know, we'll let, let's all hope that West Ham go on a bit of a winning streak <laughs> and Slam Bitch goes back to how he was in the first. I tell you what, they didn't look great when they came to Newcastle. A few more, where where do you see Newcastle being 
uh, January the 1st with Rafa and where, where do you reckon they're going to be in the week? 14th, 15th with Rafa without him it would depend on who they got in and how quickly they could and how serious the sort of turbulence was afterwards how Newcastle managed that because when Keegan went they went about two months and it just they, they they wouldn't have gone down that year if they hadn't have they lost the hull, didn't they? They lost uh, they lost a few games that were like in that period where we just didn't know what had happened, what was gonna happen, and they just went through this period, didn't they, where they kept losing daft games. Um good instinct to say is both you'll be here January the first. No idea. No <laughs> idea now. I'd say it depends on how other teams do. If if the few get sacked then he'll be the go to man for a lot of clubs. He'll be here next week. He'll be here next week, I think. Definitely be here for the Swansea game. So small steps. Yeah, exactly. Let's see what he says. Let's see what he says as well, because it'll be really interesting. Because supposedly Mike Ashley is not, you know, has asked him to kind of like not not speak, as he has been speaking about club business. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he does. Because he's an intelligent man, is Rafa as well. You know, so it'll be really interesting to see how he plays it. Um, but yeah, just a shame we can't be a little bit more positive. Well, we 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 did try, but um. That's it. Thank you very much for joining us. If you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, we'll be bringing you all the latest Newcastle United news. And if you're on iTunes, please do subscribe and leave us a review. Um, I'm not going to say five stars, but I know you will leave five stars. So thank you very much and have a lovely weekend. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.